everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for the invitation to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. So uh, I'm really excited about this. I think I told you I love your Instagram page. I love your website. It's so colorful. So we will be getting into your, like, uh, how you guys, like, start this. But please introduce yourself and tell us where you're from, what circumstances you grew up in, and what led you to be where you are today. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, so I'm Paul Muller. I've uh, grown up here in California. Um, uh, and uh, was born in the Salinas Valley, and my family's been uh, farming since uh, I was born, first uh, in the dairy business. My father was a dairyman in, in Salinas Valley and then in San Jose. Um, from there, we moved uh, um, to the Woodland area, which is near Sacramento, kind of the Central Valley of California. I grew up there on a, on a farm that, that, that changed from dairy to being diversified agriculture. Um, and I, farming is good. I think for a lot of folks who've been in it you know, all their life, it's, it's kind of bread in your bone. And, and it's something that I felt was a form of healthy and right livelihood. So, um, but we, we, years ago felt like we wanted to look at, look at agriculture a little differently because of, of, of myriad of issues that we can certainly talk about. But, uh, we now uh, farm about 500 acres here. There's a farm, uh, partnership that, um, exist with my wife and myself. We have two sons and, and one of my son's wife who are part of the partnership, and we have uh, two other partners. We've been farming on this piece of ground since 1985. Um, it's uh, um, a wonderful um, deep soil set in the Cape Valley of California, um, which is west of Sacramento and the foothills that divide as part of the coastal range. Um, and we um, we're lucky to be here. It's a, it's a wonderful wonderful place. Hot climate. We have temperatures in the summertime that get up to oh can be up to 110, 115 degrees Fahrenheit, and and wow. uh, at, at hottest days. But but it's a good place for growing tomatoes and melons. Um, it's high in the watershed, so it's pretty clean in terms of exposure to uh, pesticides or other things that other farms might be plagued with. So um, we grow a wide variety of cops, and we can certainly talk about everything we grow and the seasons that we grow in. No, yeah, I was going through that, and I think you are growing a lot of things, and you should, you should be proud of. So I think yeah, we will get. But you said like 500 acres. That's like a big farm. How many workers like you're managing right now for daily operations? Well, so we have um, about 80 workers here every day, um, and they're doing everything from picking and packing to doing the field work to. Um, uh, plant cover crops and, and get uh, new, new ground ready for the upcoming crops. We produce, here we're able to produce uh, pretty much four seasons of the year. We do take a couple of weeks off around uh, Christmas and New Year's when it's our coldest time. But for the most part, um, to keep ourselves, our, our cash flow healthy and to keep our workers employed, we um, try to produce year-round. So we're producing... Um, Seasonally, providing crop to um, about a 1,200-member CSA, to um, uh, uh, stores and restaurants in the Bay Area, and to wholesale accounts. Um, and we try and do that year-round, so we have year-round employment. Perfect. So you wholesale and you retail also, right? 
We do, yeah. So we, are the you know, we so we years ago decided we needed to diversify from the model that most farmers were were um, kind of subject to, and so we built a farm that basically is has is diverse biologically and diverse ecologically, has a really diverse crop mix um, that we can uh, market over uh, the whole year, and um, where we can. Um, Diversify our markets also. So we, our market mix is probably about um, 15% goes to CSA. That's a, a box a week to about 12 to 1500 households. Okay. We do 15% um, goes to small stores and restaurants, independent grocers and restaurants. Um, another 15% uh, uh, or so goes to farmers markets. So we do three or four farmers markets in the Bay Area. A week and the rest goes to wholesale so we have a, a pretty pretty diverse mix there where we can begin to um, manage where we sell when we have a crop that's either long or short and decide what a fair price is and, and try and get that fair price for our product beautiful beautiful so is it all organic like uh, can you just tell us like uh, what crops the farm is producing right now and do you farm like is it all organic farming yeah so so going back to that when we started um we made a commitment to eliminate um uh, toxins from the environment from in the, in the ground we were farming so we became organic farmers early on we've been farming organically since about 1982 um and we've not uh you know we've we've, we've upheld that principle so so we've been organic since 1982 not had to to vary from that course um and you know so uh, that, that came from a point in time where we, we had to learn how to grow organic carrots. We had to learn about organic fertility when we had to uh, learn about cover crops and rotations and all the pieces that you need to, to think about in a, in a different way than um, when you're farming uh, in, a, in a conventional sense. And so we became familiar with a lot of crops over time. Um, we have a, a pretty wide mix here. We probably grow 80 different um vegetable wow. crops um and 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 we probably have uh, we have uh, so we of that 500 acres we have about 12 to 15 acres in walnuts we have about uh 40 acres of almonds uh we have stone fruit um that we we start picking in um in june and and pick until october um we have um uh, apples that we have small small apples here we do a lot of flowers and you can see a lot of flowers in some of these photos um, mm -hmm. so cut flowers are, um, a main crop here on the farm. Um, and then we try to grow really high quality vegetables that in an organic system, we've developed a, a lot of folks who feel like they can taste the difference in what we grow. And I think when you put it in the ground and you grow healthy ground, um, and, and really manage your soil's biological health, you end up with food that tastes better. And so, um, our marketing has, has been about growing things that are beautiful and that taste well taste great and then that are seasonally seasonally appropriate <laughs> I can see that I think so which crop you're most proud of for like from full valley farm and are you known for anything in particular oh my gosh um, well um, I think you're proud I mean I went to the farmers market last week in Palo Alto it's one of the markets we've done now for almost 40 years um, that um, market when you set out a display that has um, Everything from broccoli and um, asparagus and um, beets and cabbage and radishes and salad mix and lettuce and um, 
um, turnips and you know the potatoes that we have those are all things that were on our table this last week along with um, we do have some citrus here we have a, a small window in the winter where we can grow uh, harvest some citrus we're just about right on the edge where we're not too cold to do some citrus um, we have all the dried goods that we do so we add value to just about anything we can and so all of our seconds become a products that are dried or they're made into jams and jellies we have those that were on the table um, my one part of our enterprise has a kitchen now uh, that we've been my son Ammon my oldest son and his wife are, are running and they do everything from pizza dough to with using our wheat to um, um, uh, tea cakes right that were on the table this last week so a wide variety of things and the idea with that and, the, and those 500 acres is that we have enough land to rotate crops on where we can grow healthier crops um, but also that we have diversity so that no one, one, one battling a low price for broccoli, say, won't be the thing that makes or breaks our year. Um, so we, we, diversity is, is bred into our bone, as you say. Beautiful. So, like, you do all of this. So this is only, like, so locally or you have to try something uh, global also? So only, well, or you know, we, we try and try and keep our marketing fairly local. We market about probably 95% of what we grow into the, the San Francisco area region. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and we, we do our CSA is, is um, within, uh, is regionally, we probably don't go more than about 100 miles or 110 miles for our CSA. So I would say that most, uh, you know, most of our crops, we try and keep as local as possible. Um, we early on ran into some problems selling things far away to wholesalers who were in Los Angeles or further, and, and there were a couple of times we didn't get paid. So it was a painful uh -huh. lesson that brought us closer to home where we feel like we can have a stronger direct relationship with our customers, where they More can know us, know who we are, and know our values. Um, and that's something that's we've very worked important. on for many years. That's very important. So I have a question here from the audience, and uh, she says that, how do you ensure biological diversity, and why is this important to your farm? So how do we diver uh, ensure Ins biological diversity? And the second part of the question was? Why is this important to your farm? Oh, my gosh. Um, we, um, we've tried to divide design a farm that is... Um, a real mix of, of areas where we can harbor bio, biological diversity. So biological diversity is is not just um, you know birds or or um, um, uh, different types of crops for growing tree crops or or row crops or uh, incorporating livestock into the farm, which is something we do. Um, but we see biological diversity as an essential piece of creating a, a real system and looking at our farm as, an, as more of an organism than just a place that produces food. So, and, and I think over time we've had people come to the farm and do different uh, studies and they've, they've studied everything from uh, dung beetles uh, and, and what, what are incidents of dung beetles are in our field to uh, the carbon that we have at depth and, or, or the bird life that we have here. And we, our farm had uh, with the University of Washington study had some of the highest diversity of bird species that they found on any farm that they studied coming from from uh, Washington down to California. So um, we feel we, we, we try to grow things that create, create insect diversity. So we have beneficial insects here. We support bats that are our nighttime foragers for coddling moss and things like that. I mean, 
you know, if we can em- employ bats, for example, <laughs> to do our uh, insect control at nighttime for, for coddling moth and things that might uh, uh, create an, an, a navel orange worm or so, uh, um, an insect problem for apples or, or uh, walnuts, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, been, they're employed um, for, for pretty cheap. All you have to do is find a place for them here and, and build a house and they'll begin to work at night for you. And, and they, they work a lot cheaper than, than um, a lot of our other laborers here on the farm. And, and um, they, um, it's, a, it's a perfect sequencing of, of biology for our needs. And so all we have to do is find a place to foster that. It's the same with um, insect ecology and, and, and pollinator diversity. Um, um, right, we have cover crops right now that are teeming. Actually, you can go out and see in one small area, see 10 to 15 ladybugs. Um, and they're there because we've created pollen and nectar for them to be there. But it's also um, these, these fields of mustard flowers that we're going to soon turn in uh, to soil are a place that we are providing pollen and nectar for bees and for lacewings and other insects that can work in our fields um, and provide us with uh, beneficial insects to control aphids, for example, on some of our greens. Mm-hmm. So biological diversity is, is, again, part of the design here of the farm. And it, we find many, many ways that it pays off. Creating the perfect ecosystem, I would <laughs> well, we, you know, yeah, we, we, we are, are far too dense as human beings to understand what a perfect ecosystem is as we manipulate this farm, but we're trying to do our best. In my opinion, whatever we try our best to do, that's the perfect thing. <laughs> we, get, we get better uh-huh. day by day. But yeah, uh-huh. uh, I think whatever we can, I, I I have seen, like I told you, I'm a city boy, but I've I went to like village twice and thrice. And every time they are trying to do something better and it's perfect. It's perfect. Sure, sure. <laughs> so that's my definition of perfect. Like whatever you can achieve, that's perfect for that day. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. do it with the right intention, I think it, there is a perfection exactly. in that. Um, you know, we, you can see on the picture there, this is, so we do grow flowers. So this is um, um, uh, an example of a summer, summer field here. You can see the diversity in that field. Um, and, you know, uh, it's it's really gratifying. It's the, so the diversity also satisfies the soul of the farmer when you can hear, walk out there and see, um, you know, uh, uh, honeybees that are out there foraging, and lots of them, and bumblebees, and and insect ecology out there. That it, they it's there because you provided the pollen and nectar for them to be there. So it yeah. is a um, it's it's also this whole piece is not. This functionally uh, 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 wonderful, but it's also gratifying to have a farm that where there is beauty, and the beauty is created by your your attention, in intention, and attention to details, and getting those things planted. Yeah. Truly, truly said. I think. Okay, uh, so I have another question here. So it says, do you use compost to fertilize this large of a farm? Yes, we do. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, so our primary strategies for for um, for fertility management is our um, uh, we do use a lot of cover crops and and there are probably some pictures of cover crops um, around. We do this is an example of a sheep that are eating down a cover crop. So we do incorporate livestock into the farm as part of our um, um, cycle. We have about 300 head of sheep on the farm, and they are browsers. They finish a um, Finish a field when when it's it's done. They will go and, and turn it over. We'll also do that mechanically, but we do use the sheep, 
and at the same time they're they're fertilizing and providing some biological diversity there. We do use compost. We buy in a good deal of compost. We export a lot of nutrients out, so we buy in a compost that we're now turning and finishing so that it it reflects our um, you know the type of compost we want to be applying to the ground. We're increasingly playing with um, different biological amendments, um, things that we affect the microorganisms or things that we can use to um, enhance the the uh, the vigor of the seed by providing the right uh, ecological community or biological community around that seed when it germinates. So we're playing with with uh, things that enhance the ability to, of the plant to withstand disease and emerge uh, vigorously by using different biological amendments. So we're, we're try, trying a number of strategies, but the, the cornerstones have been compost, uh, cover crops, and then our livestock rotations there. Okay. So, so what is the biggest challenge you're facing in your role business right now, uh, and how are you tackling it? Well, you know, so I would say that this year, uh, California is, is particularly challenged with water. Um, we are, um, uh, have this, I think it's been the drought that we're in here in California has, has been characterized as one of the deepest droughts in the last uh, 1,800 years, um, which oh. I don't have a lot of perspective on, but that's certainly been very dry. Last year, our, our, our rainfall was about, here at the farm, was about six inches, so um, of our wells, and we live on a, a creek that drains Clear Lake in, this, in the, these, the central coastal range and another reservoir. Um, there was no, no or very little water released in that creek, so we had little access to that water. So um, adjusting to uh, a drier environment, um, adjusting to um, some real um, Fluctuations in weather have been it's been pretty challenging. We had a about a month ago we had a 22 degree night, um, which um, is just about unheard of in the whole year. Um, that was a, a bubble of cold air that came over and basically we lost all of our almonds in, and a lot of our stone fruit in one night. So um, the, the challenges of adjusting to uh, the, the swings in weather that may come with climate change or just this particular time we're at. Um, is, is is a particular challenge. We also have a generational change. You know, I'm I'm at getting 69 years old. Our, our kids are coming into the to business and and doing different things. So we have our, just continually think about how we make the generational change work here on the farm. Um, and uh, uh, but so I how old are your that, kids? How old are your kids? And when they kind of start like chipping um, in? They're they're um, 30, 32, 34, and 36. Um, and um, they are, um, three of them are here on the farm, and one is a teacher who's not here on the farm. But um, our children all have a different enterprises here on the farm that they start out with. And um, you see the flowers. My daughter, Hannah, does a lot of flowers. I, I saw, um, yeah, I saw that on the website that she came up with full, uh, full belly flutter. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a new so she does, she's, yeah. our, she's our florist and works with my wife, Drew, who loves flowers. And so we have about... Um, we plant about, I'd say, 30 acres of flowers a year, um, and we can produce flowers from um, um, about uh, early March until um, November, and then we're doing, we dry a lot of those flowers, and, and in the wintertime, our crew that does flowers is making dried wreaths and, and um, finishing those, the value of those flowers by, by arranging them as dried flowers. So they have, there's a crew of about eight that have year-round employment, um, planting, tending, 
um, harvesting, drying, and then arranging dried flowers um, and making dry and making both fresh bouquets and dry bouquets. So um, the flowers have become a piece that um, are, um, you know, just an example of how you can make a year-round enterprise um, in our our climate here um, by adjusting kind of the way you're you're doing things and making that part of the design. Um, so you know there there are challenges as, um, uh, and and our, I think our kids are meeting those challenges with some new eyes, and we think that uh, given the their smarts and and uh, our adaptability that we can meet meet challenges coming going forward. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, I think this is a question I think I have asked everyone. I have seen Wayne ask everyone uh, because it was the I think a truth basically. So. Uh, how has the pandemic affected your business? Basically, <laughs> sometimes it's sensitive, but yeah. Uh, how did like um, did you did you guys have any had effects for that or not? Well, you know, I mean, uncertainty is always um, difficult to deal with, and then when you have a crew of eighty, the potential <coughs> excuse me, um, part about the potential of having something that um, um, someone coming in with COVID and then impacting the, uh, you know, the, the whole crew um, is, is, is pretty um, significant. Uh, our food safety policy also has to be something we're very cognizant of in terms of keeping not only our consumers safe, but our crew safe. So um, the years of COVID have been um, um, kind of fraught with more uncertainty than normal, mostly about the safety of the, the folks who are working here. So if someone has COVID, we had a protocol of, of paying attention to who they were in contact with, uh, testing when testing was available, or or um, isolation um, in order to figure out um, whether the infection has gone further than the the individual who had it. So we work in te- in terms of crews or teams, um, and if someone in that team were to test positive for COVID, we had to then um, um, may ask ask that team to stay away until Isolate. we determined that everybody was safe. So it, it was a lot of adjusting and a lot of trying to figure it out on the fly while while keeping a business open. Um, our crew needed to work. Uh, we needed to work. We needed the cash flow. So we kept producing. Um, there were a few areas of our business, and, and we, we actually produced well during those times, and we uh, gra- and gratefully avoided or uh, thankfully avoided um, any any major issues. Um, we did have cases of COVID here, but but um, we were able. No one was was seriously um, ill with COVID um, over these last two years. We did have a part of our our business that was more public, so we we try and make our farm really open for people to come to. And we had to change that and close that down. We we had an educational program here at the farm where we had third grade uh, classes, uh, different schools that would come and bring their students here. And they would camp on the farm and um, and and pick things on the farm um, and basically be young farmers for for about three or four days. Um, and we we ended up canceling that program. We canceled. We had a summer camp that was part of our educational program here, with 250 wow. kids a week um, or 250 kids a summer. Sorry, um, and we ended up canceling that. So there were a lot of things that we we suspended um, that we. Um, that had been part of what we were doing. We had a big fundraising festival in the fall also called the Hose Down Harvest Festival. And That was um, my question. I saw it on yeah, your website. Well, it's, it's really fun we could talk about that, but but we actually have, have suspended that for the last two years also. 
Yeah, but um, for the last two years, but you will be going for this this year, right? <laughs> well, we're hoping so. We'll see. We we still, um, uh, you know, it's it's amazing how much work it is. And when you don't do that work, you actually feel like, wow, we had a fall. We had we were able to do something this fall besides um, focus on a festival. But but the festival is great. It's they see some pictures there, and and we have a circus that comes. We have about six thousand people come to a one day festival here. Where oh, wow. folks dance, where they um, kids play, we make a huge straw for it. Um, um, there are there's lots of good organic food. We have workshops, we have farm tours, and basically we um, we really try and make the people understand that they can be intimate to a farm, and put their feet on the ground and understand a little more clearly what a farm's all about. Beautiful. So those yeah, are some pictures great. of. Yeah, no, I, I went through all of them. I was looking at that, and uh, I, this not kind of uh, gained my intention. <laughs> the bullard will not be holding. So, I, yeah, I think it happened everywhere. Like even in here in Pakistan, everything was closed and severe lockdowns. Uh, some For some businesses, it was good. For some, it was not. For tech, it was really good. And for us advertisers, basically, I think the, the digital kind of went okay, but outdoor media and stuff that was closed down so it was a big problem for us so a lot of events a lot of things kind of stopped because of that yeah affected yeah, a lot you know, of it's, jobs we're, we're, it's an interesting time i mean you mentioned that your family has a history of farm farming back back a ways and oh, yeah. as people do you know they're one generation or two generations removed from the farm and um but they have very little understanding of of how farms work um, mm -hmm. What conditions uh, farm workers were labor under? Um, what the realities are in terms of the economics of farming, or the political things that need to be considered, or water, or um, any of those things um, have somehow been separated politically and uh, socially uh, now, yeah. where most folks don't have never been to a farm and, and understand what it's about. We feel it's pretty critical not to be afraid of that connection, but actually to to move toward it and bring those people here so that we can make them our customers and we can make mm -hmm. them our our friends and and along the way we the this the hose down for example is a fundraiser that raises money for nonprofits that do good work and so um we um we can do a lot of things by stretching ourselves a bit and actually trying to bridge the gap of where there's a lack of understanding about the realities of agriculture and get people cool to the farm so that they can actually understand it intimately. Wonderful thoughts. So uh, talking about that, I think you said, talked about this, but um, like coming to donations part, I, I liked on your website and it says a CSA box. And what does a, usually a single CSA box contains and looks like? Well, so um, you can see, I think there were some photos of the boxes there. Um, we sell a $20 box, and we this do one, one size box. We've had a CSA since about 1990, so it's, it's been long running. We have some people who've been a member of our CSA since 1990, so we have some people who've been members since the start. Um, the CSA really is a program where we can, again, um, be directly connected to people who know our farm. We have mm -hmm. um, about 12 to 1500 families, depending on the season, who are um, getting a box a week. 
Um, the, the nice thing about a CSA for folks who are not familiar, the way we structure ours is we decide what's going in the box. So we put okay. eight to 10 different items in the box every week. Um, and it's, it's things that we feel like we need to, to put in the box or that's particularly beautiful at times. So right now our box will have, say, potatoes and beets and carrots. Um, there may be some broccoli that goes into the box and a, a dark leafy green. We'll have a fresh garlic or a fresh onion that will go in there because those aren't bulbed up and sized up yet. Um, we may put um, uh, winter squash in the seasons that are appropriate, and then summertime the, and springtime, the boxes will change and be, be appropriate to the season. So we're always planting with the idea in mind that we want to have eight to ten different items that are going to be available. Um, our lettuce right now is really beautiful. The price for lettuce at, at, the, on the, at the wholesale market is, is fairly high, so we may not put as much lettuce in the boxes as and as and divert some of that to the wholesale market. So the CSA is a way we can um, kind of move and 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 focus on a market that we're intimate with and people who, and, and get to know those folks. Um, CSA also has a newsletter, so we write a newsletter every week about what's going on on the farm um, and try to bridge the knowledge gap. And we can talk about uh, the functions, the functional things that go on the farm. We can talk about stories. That things that happen during the week, um, we can talk about politics, and so we have a way to inform our customer base um, about water policy or about pesticide policy or a particular bill about seeds or whatever. We can begin to use that um, mechanism of, of people who are connected to the farm to further inform them about um, what's going on on the farm and how things are working. So. Um, you know, uh, so the CSA is, is something that we feel um, um, is, a, is a great tool because, our, you know, we have a, a direct relationship with customers. Our customers actually prepay us, so the boxes are paid for before they're delivered. So they become a de facto micro-lending uh, process where we have money ahead of time rather than behind Behind times when we send product to a wholesaler, we don't get a check for two to three weeks. So, so it changes the direction of capital movement in our farm, also. So we really like it. Great, great. So you have been running this farm for I think a lot of years now. So, who are some of your heroes, most influential people in your life, who kind of helped you build this farm or uh, played a very vital role in your life regarding this farm or otherwise? Well, you know, I, I, I'm happy to say that any anybody who's farming these days after the history of farming is probably a hero, whether they're conventional or organic. And certainly there are some who would be less less heroes than others, but it's been a, it's been a difficult, um, here in the States, it's been a difficult, let's say, 50 or 100 years. Or, well, I've been around for, for almost 70, and those have been very, very difficult years. I've watched many, many farm families leave agriculture, and many farms fail. And so... Um, you learn a lot from even conventional growers about how how precise they are and and how they they look at their look at the world and the tools that they use. Um, um, but certainly, uh, you know, any organic farmer are um, people someone that are, are my heroes. We had a a fellow here in California, amigo Bob Contesano, who was a, an amazing amazing fellow um, who was a good friend, and he. He basically um, was a uh, an influencer who went out and talked to people about who's doing what and how what tools are looking looking at and how to make better compost and 
what's happening with soil biology and, and uh, soil ecology. So he was a hero. Um, I, I've learned a lot from other farms then, and by looking at what they do and, and talking with other farmers who are willing to share their secrets. So I, I've got a good many farmer friends who are my heroes. Um, there's a lot of small, smaller farmers who have figured out how to make a life, they make good life living on, on a smaller acreage by being very efficient. And um, those folks I, I admire tremendously. So um, maybe my world's a little little um, small, but you know, it, 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 out in the bigger world, um, I, Wendell Berry's work is great. Um, Dave Chapman is a good friend and I'm on the Real Organic Project board, um, which is looking to um, um, begin to address the the USDA's failure to really um, in, enforce the organic rule and make sure things are grown in soil and in healthy soil with a soil building program that animals are well taken care of and have access to pasture. So the Real Organic Project is doing that fight and I'm, the, the farmers who are involved in that I, I admire greatly also. So, um, you know, I, I, that list could be a long one. There's a lot of people doing great work. Um, who sure. I admire, but uh, but I'd say my the, the some of the the ecological influencers um, are are other farmers who are doing um, great jobs of farming, and you can tell by their farm their their farms are beautiful and the produce is exquisite and it's grown organically and um, at the same time they're building and enhancing soil. So um, I will say that I have. We have about done about 1,800 webinars. I have seen about 800 webinars, I guess, on Eden in the last four or five years. This is one of the best answers for this question. So, your world is not small. So it's, I guess it's like admiring your fellow uh, people, your fellow people like, who are doing the same thing. I think that's the, the best way of learning more. So, sure. and they become sure. zeros, yeah. So again, yeah, okay. On keeping on the same line. So, what do you find most rewarding about your work with Full Belly Farm? Um, oh my lord. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll tell you that I think after a while, you've, when you've been on a farm for forty years, and some, and there's certainly families that have been on the farms much, much longer than that. Um, I'm I believe the farm becomes part of your soul. Um, it certainly becomes part of you physiologically because. You know, I'm breathing dust here um, nearly, nearly every day of the year, um, more in the summer and more in spring. Um, you know, we know the dust is loaded with microorganisms and bacteria and things like that, and you ingest those, you breathe them in. You, the food you eat is, is microbially rich besides, not, and it's beyond just be having vitamins and minerals. Um, that informs your gut, um, which in, can elevate your mood or influence um, how you think or um, I think influence your relationship with place. And so I, I think after 40 years, what pleases me a lot is to feel like I'm becoming more and more in touch with how to make this farm, how to be, be here and how to let the farm show me how, to, how its beauty can be expressed. And that changes every year. Um, you know, the, uh, to be on a farm that's really diverse is to be delighted, I think, nearly every day by things you can see. Um, I can go out and, again, I cover crop fields and see a myriad of beneficial insects out there. That Now I have to come up with the, a plan for how do I least, you know, uh, respect their diversity out there and not disrupt them so much. Um, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I can be um, 
maybe just even even uh, um, remarkably surprised by the diversity that comes here when you build a place for it to be here. Um, when you build um, a spot that where these these insects can find a place where there's pollen and nectar and live where they want to live, they'll show up. And yeah. so um, I'm always amazed at how much life comes to a farm when diversity is a, is a cornerstone of how you design it. Um, so that pleases me a lot. It pleases me to see, to taste a good watermelon this summer or good cantaloupe that has incredible flavor or, you know, a, a tomato that is beautiful and, and fully flavored. Um, um, it's really remarkable. We, we, you know, to, to farm sheep and see how they are uh, attuned and to the, to the ecology of the farm and, you know, how healthy they are by being able to rotate, rotate them through this farm. So, um, and I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm amazed we have farm work, farm crew here that have been here a lot. Many of them have been here more than 30 years and how they've built their lives, uh, stable lives around having stable jobs um, and having a, a, a work work that is um, is rewarding and where they're paid fairly and um, they have health insurance and they can grow their kids in a, in a way that's secure and safe and, and regular. So all of those things make me feel really good. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I think I, I'm asking this question late now, but I guess what you have just told. So I think this makes sense. So if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would what would be that be? Um, I think it would be you know maybe go slower, observe more. Um, but you know I. Um, I, I guess you know the it goes along with this la the last answer is there were the things that I should have known years ago that I wasn't ready to see, and um, you know it's it's uh, it would probably be 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 talk more share more um, get more people here walk walk on others farms um, observe more with them more closely um, you know the economics of farming. Um, when we entered it, there were a lot of farmers who were going out of business. It was in the 80s, and that was a very hard time for farming. And we were trying to start a farm at that time. Um, so we were really swimming upstream where commodity prices were low and farms were failing across the country and there were farm suicides. And we said we wanted to start a farm at that time. And, um, you know, we wanted to start a farm where we weren't beholden to a bank. So we figured out how to get cash flow so that we didn't need to borrow money. Um, so we were producing something and money was coming in all the time. Um, I, I, I guess I, I, if I were to go back, um, it might be something like um, um, being, being more able to have time to listen and go see other farmers and, and fought, try and figure out together how we could, we could jumpstart this thing more readily. But, you know, when you look back, you realize it was, it was a remarkable journey. And they're, they're, that journey was unique, and there's not much that you can change about it. So I guess I'd, I'd look, rather look forward than, than looking backwards. Beautiful, wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. So I was just like going through different things, um, looking at these questions. Okay, so yeah, this one I think uh, makes sense now. That uh, what are your next like how you where you see yourself in the next ten years in a way or your farm basically. Uh, there is like I saw some place on your website that it said that you have a long-term goal like uh, 
like its goal is to integrating integrating farm production with long-term environmental stewardship such a like can you talk about that like your long time long-term goals basically well you know i it's really an exciting time in in organic agriculture and, and perhaps all in all agriculture but i think organics in particular is beginning to ask new questions and some of those questions are coming from australia some of them have been questions that other people have dealt with you know in 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 um in a uh, traditional agricultural systems but um it's really the question of how do you enhance you know what's going on in your soil and what are some of the keys that that um you need to pay attention to when you utilize the practices that you do in order to grow food so you know we do till till soil um, but we think we can actually put a lot of carbon in ground in, in the soil and and have a, a net positive at the end of the year we are experimenting with no-till we're experimenting trying to get the tools to allow us to strip till or minimize the, the our tillage to try and keep uh, cover mulch that we grow in place and keep on top of the ground so we're protecting the soil from from sunlight and, and temperature and and we can enhance microbial diversity there we're trying a lot of things um but it's you know what what i think if i were to say where we're going in in the next 10 years i would like to I, and i find it really exciting still so i would like to be, be farming in 10 years and and be thinking of trying to get closer to this idea how you do the least amount of harm and how you have the system the biological system the biological underpinnings the, the whole ecology of the system how do you get that working for you so you're doing the least amount of harm and you're doing the most enhancement to that system while you're growing high quality food because you have to do both right you can't this is not a theoretical exercise or it's not a the principal exercise that don't doesn't allow us to to think through things and do things a certain way we have to make a living here and we have 80 80 people um who are are dependent upon us making good decisions and and providing them with employment so um we we are kind of constantly um trying to find that balance where we're doing the least amount of harm but we're getting the most potential energy to most potential um contribution of a of a really dynamic system that is um is working on a lot of different levels so how do you grow more 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 things per acre and that's just not the crop you're growing it's not just the almonds but it's it's the soil ecology it's the um, biological diversity in your soil it's the um the ecology insects and and uh, the harvest of sunlight how do you maximize those things and still grow crops so that's the exciting edge that's the question that we keep um turning over and how do we do that in a way that is um sane for ourselves so we have to live sane lives and we should yeah. be working all the time um, and, like, and uh, decent for our employees safe for our employees um someplace that they enjoy working because um they like that environment of beauty and complexity um and and they are are they themselves have a, have a right livelihood and 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 are compensated fairly for what they're doing um it's it's still an all it's all an exciting um and changeable set of questions and answers there that we're still pursuing and, and I'm excited about it i'm sure like 100 years back some farmer think of the same thing but the part where like 
keep like doing the less like less harm <laughs> kind of went back so <laughs> and just back someone's thinking what to do more how to grow more but yeah but do not like i think now people are understanding because of all these new technologies and new information coming in the climate change and everything uh it's about time to go in the right direction where we think about so i loved your answer in a way like uh keeping like in a way that there should be less harm but we grow more we more efficient but not harmful so yeah, yeah that's absolutely a i mean we you know we've we've had a, a model where we took things apart and separated the pieces and and you had pest problems, you talked to a pest control advisor and you reached for an insecticide. When you had um, um, weed problems, you, you found a herbicide that would work. Um, when you thought about your market, you you looked very narrowly at, at where, you know, what most people are growing and you sold, sold to that market. And you didn't think about, you know, how your survival is, is connected, interconnected, and how you can make it more of a systems approach so that Soil fertility impacts plant health, which impacts insect ecology, which impacts the nutrition that you're you're consuming as a farmer and that your your crew is taking home as food and that impacts your consumers' relationships. So, you know, if if you can change your thinking in, in terms of how this is an interconnected, interwoven system that is dependent upon, you know, kind of right ideas. As, that you're employing as as a farmer, um, there's a lot of lot of um, <laughs> kind of serendipitous things that happen if you just begin to choose that model. And there's a lot of things mm -hmm. that you see that are just uh, remarkable. Um, and that's that's kind of what you know keeps this whole um, thing that we're doing really really fun and stimulating. And it's a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of tractors that that break down and. And things that need repair, and, and things that break, and and uh, and and wells that go out, or um, you know, we we just we we do have all those things that we're dealing with. Um, so it's not all Shangri-La. It's it's uh, it's the real world trying to meet you know the best expression we can create for a healthy, sustainable farm. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking at some questions from the audience, and this one is interesting. So, do you have fields that you do experimentation on? Yeah, a big farm. You should you should do. Yeah, <laughs> you really do. So, do you have yeah, fields that you do experimentation on? You mean the things that we do experiment? You mean machinery or or um, or what? What you mean in terms of? Yeah, I mean we're always experimenting. Um, we're experimenting with uh, you know how much manipulation of soil that we're we're doing. We're experimenting with um, where we plot, put our compost and 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 uh, some of the we're using some. Um, Insect frass right now that that have chitons in it that we're we're looking to see whether we can stimulate um, a biological response in the plant to to be more fungal. We're, we're treating a lot of our seed this year with uh, uh, some of John Kemp's uh, seed uh, treatment um, um, that is um, supposed to stimulate the fungal community around root root the root zone. Um, we are always experiment with varieties, so we don't just grow the same varieties every year. We always got you know, three new melons in the mix or five new melons in the mix that we're looking at and seeing whether they have better flavor and grow grow in our environment a little better. Um, we're experiment, experimenting with tools. How do we how do we till less? How do we get a, keep our soil profile um, healthier? Um, how deep do we need to go in order to to loosen the soil? How can we water water better and manage our water better so that um, 
you know, the, we, we're, we're using less water. So, I mean, it's all, uh, a, we don't have a program. We don't have uh, A to B to C that, that a lot of, say if you're growing corn in the Midwest and you're growing GMO corn, you basically plant it, um, you know, you, you fertilize it, you, you spray it, and, and, uh, um, and then hopefully that controls the weeds. That's a program. That is a, a one, two, three step to getting corn in the Midwest. I mean, it's more complex than that, and I don't want to belittle that. But it's the, 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 all the pieces are worked out. Here we're working out the pieces. We're trying to figure them out as we go along. But and, but we know that some things work. We know the crop mix that we're using. We know which which windows we can plant and where we'll harvest. Um, we can we can predict a lot of things, but we're always experimenting. Perfect. So there is another question here, and I like this question in a way because you're so humble. Um, I I feel like you should write a book. <laughs> you said that you know you should write a book, and this question is: Would you want to share your knowledge through education in the future, or do you already? So if you're not thinking of writing a book, please think. And <laughs> you are there, sir. So yeah. Well, I did. I did agree to this interview. Um, you know, we're 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 um. Um, you know, I've, I've not thought of writing a book because I think it's just one of those things that, um, there's, there's too many other things to do and there's a lot of wonderful books out there that I've never had time to read. So, um, but I, I do think that, you know, one of the things we try and do a lot and as COVID ends here, we're doing, starting ramping up again is, is having time when people can come to the farm. Um, I mean, it, 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 we really do have to make people who are intimately connected and want to support the kind of agriculture we're talking about here um, and have to know why organic agriculture is important. And it goes beyond, you know, buying something in the store. It goes beyond having, a, it goes to having a relationship and having something personal that you can go look back to. Um, you know, our CSA newsletter, um, we have parents who say, you know, the, one of the first things they do when they get their box is they, they or they they'll read the newsletter in the morning and understand what they're going to have and there's a menu in there they'll try new things um, and it becomes a um, a practice in understanding why there's kale in the box this week or why we have a lot of lettuce or what happened um, what happened to our almonds this year and and when we don't have any almonds because they were taken by a frost it it creates all of the um, important things to make people understand that food is a process that involves real people and it it's it and, and it's more intimate if there's hands that care about it that are um touching it and 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 making it making it healthy uh, so um and that there's principles behind it so so um i i'm not not tempted to write a book i think um but i'm i'm really happy to talk about this at any time because i feel like it's really um it's really important um, information to share. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> okay, uh, I still have a lot of on my list, like a lot of questions on my list, but people are sending a lot of questions here, so I need to go through the question session. Uh -huh. uh, okay, so, okay, I will ask this one because they both are kind of same. So do you use compost tea on the farm? One question, and one is, do you do bee farming? <laughs> Do we, so we do um, do use some compost tea. We're not we're not um, folks who brew compost tea all the time. Uh, to be honest, 
Um, we had enough capital uh, a year and a half ago to buy a compost turner. We've always had some static piles on the farm. We've not done a good job turning those with a loader, but now we're actually, I was asked this morning, I went out and turned uh, six different piles of compost. Um, some were farm waste, some were um, some goat head cleanings from a neighbor, um, but we have six nice piles of compost going, and I'm hoping what we can do there is really make the kind of compost I want to be applying. The, um, a lot of the compost that's on the market here in California isn't particularly good. Uh, it's green waste compost, and it is um, it is uh, built so that uh, the green waste comes in. These guys turn it to meet the requirements to call it compost, and they they get rid of it before it's actually finished. So now we have the ability to finish the compost that we're using, and I think we'll make more tea as a result of having better compost. At least that's that's the, the steps we see. Um, and then do we keep bees? We do. My daughter-in-law does have some beehives here. Um, we, um, we're in an area of California where there's so many almonds that they, um, that they, uh, they're, they're, <coughs> this, this area is, gets inundated with bees after they finish harvesting uh, or pollen, pollinating the almonds. So we have times of the year where the competition for pollen and nectar are really competing with native bees or bees that we keep here. So it's tricky. Um, we do keep some bees, but we think that um, we can grow a lot of the, the, um, the pollinating insects that we need by managing understory and, and managing our fields. That's a great picture. That's actually a bamboo shoot that um, my <laughs> grandson uh, is, is purporting to be asparagus, a monster front <laughs> uh, uh, asparagus coming out of the ground. So that was a that look was at a, the smile. The joy yeah. is there. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So looking at the other questions, do you uh, do you do crop rotations on your farm? A absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. we don't generally plant one crop, the same crop after another. Um and we try and have at least one cover crop in every parcel a year. A lot of times we'll have two. We'll finish with a crop and we'll try and get a cover crop in the ground. We're trying planting more species diversity in all of our cover crops. We're trying to get 12 or more species of, of plants in that mix because there, there's a lot of evidence that there's a tremendous amount of benefits by diversifying your cover crop mixes. So um, um, absolutely grow cover crops and, and trying to get as much diversity as possible there. Okay, uh, one more question. Do you have any concerns with soil compaction on your farm? Um, um, yeah, you always have to be concerned about compaction. Um, we do. We are a row crop farm, so we try and keep um, we try and keep as beds as permanent as possible, um, and um, have the, the 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 tracks where the the tractor travels. You always want to stay off of wet wet soil. We're we're a clay loam soil here, so compaction can be an issue. Um, we're finding that by tilling less, we actually have. Um, a lot more biological activity there and the, and the soil structure changes. And so we have to be careful about our, our equipment going through the fields. We do have tools to open up the ground, um, a yeoman plow that will go through a bed and lift up that soil and aerate if we need to, uh, trying to keep the profile intact. Um, we um, we um, understand that rain itself can, can, can create compaction. So having uh, green plants, uh, cover crops on top of the ground uh, during the rainy season is really important to, to have the roots um, um, and the plant itself minimize the impact of rain and allow that soil to be kept open 
um, so that the uh, water goes into the ground. So yes, we, we're very concerned always about, and really compaction is about having enough oxygen um, in the ground and how that oxygen is part of a process where a bacteria and other microbes are stimulated, the plant can respire, and so you have to kind of keep thinking about plant respiration and, and the ecology in, or in and around that plant root. So um, yes, we always thinking about compaction. Beautiful. Okay, so I have a few more and we have about four minutes, so I will try to cover as much as I can. Sir, so this one is, do you do mail orders? Um, we do some, some mail orders. They can look at our website and see if there are things that, that, uh, that we will send uh, mail orders. So check, check our website, yeah. Okay, and that's the best way to contact you is through your website, right? That's probably the best way, yeah. Okay, and then this one question, what is a new tool that you have recently learned about or obtained that you recommend? This could be technology, a new piece of equipment, anything. Oh my gosh, well, you know, we, um, we're trying, we're trying um, uh, some vertical till, we found, found at an auction, um, a kind of oddball piece of vertical tillage tools that we cut down and we, we reconfigured for in our shop. We're trying that right now to see if, how that will do in terms of keeping the soil profile intact with and minimizing compaction on the bed top. Um, so we're playing with that. We've, we this last year, we bought some strip tiller units from the Midwest and we broke down a bigger unit and made it so that we could plant two rows of corn on a 60 inch bed, two lines of corn and, and or one line of, of uh, melons or whatever on a 60 inch bed. So we, we're, we're, we modified that equipment. Um, um, I guess, uh, you know, the, 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 probably the, the, the most fun thing, right, this last few years is thinking about diversifying cover crops. And so think in terms of equipment, in terms of biological equipment, and that idea of going from what we used to be three or four species to 12 species, um, there's a lot of great evidence that that's, that that's a huge, huge leap forward in cover cropping. So pay attention to that one. Good one. Okay. Uh, this one is, yeah, I think this one is from the media. How much time do you spend on your farm and your website or social media? <laughs> I think yeah. uh, I pretty I spend most of the time out in the field and, and in the shop and and um, my my I'm out outdoors and working with crew and and supervising crew. Um, my daughter does a lot of the website, the the, the Instagram stuff and Facebook things, and um, so um, um, and my my wife does more time in the office doing sales, and we have a salesperson. We also have a CSA person who helps write the newsletter every week or we write the newsletter. So um, I would say that, that my time is mostly spent that on the nuts and bolts of making the farm work. Okay. Yeah, cruise uh, them to basically it's a beautiful, your Instagram is perfect. Your website is too good. So <laughs> I have seen a lot of websites. It is good, really good. Okay. Good. And I think that's about it on the questions from the audience if you guys have anything else you can just send it because we we have only one minute so uh, i think i won't be, be taking more of your time sir um uh, any uh, anything else you want to end this with basically any parting words from your side no well uh, thank you for, uh, for for your good work and and for the for the work of the folks who are who are thinking about a more ecologically sound food system um, we have uh, uh, miles to go, and, and there's, uh, the benefits are huge. We know the food system needs changing, and it's a life's work. And so anybody doing that work is doing good work, and they're to be congratulated. But thank you for the time and be, the ability to be here and, and share a little bit about what we're doing. 
Oh, thank you so much, sir. Um, it is a sheer honor to have you on. And uh, I loved, I love this thing. So I think good thing is Wayne was in bed. So <laughs> I was good. able to do this. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. When, when we'll yeah. talk to you again, I'm sure. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, all right. Well, you take care. Yeah. Take care, all sir. Right. Thank you so much. Bye now. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.